Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation together, coming together as a community in order to support and encourage and motivate each other along this path to enlightenment. Because meditation is really the foundation of this path to enlightenment, where there's an entire path here that needs to be learned So one wouldn't be able to meditate their way to enlightenment, but you also wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment without meditation either. So there's many teachings that need to be learned on this path to enlightenment, and meditation is one of the primary things that we need to learn, understand, and practice daily in order to progress along this path of training the mind to this enlightened mental state where the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. This means that the mind's no longer going to experience discontent feelings like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy. All of these discontent feelings can be eliminated through learning the teachings of the Buddha and training the mind on this path to enlightenment. And the beauty in these teachings is that nothing is based on belief. Absolutely nothing is based on belief. You can learn the teachings with a teacher and then take those teachings and independently verify that they are the truth through your own practice of those teachings. You can determine that the teachings are true and then you gain wisdom. And the more that you practice these teachings, gaining more and more wisdom, the condition of the mind gradually improves where once you became very angered and hostile over a particular situation, as you train the mind, maybe next time you become frustrated. And then the next time you're kind of irritated and annoyed. And then eventually you just don't even feel any rise of any negative emotions or feelings as a result of that same situation that a few months ago or a few weeks ago would have just made you irate. Through learning and practicing these teachings, you can see that the mind gradually improves and the condition of the mind becomes more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So breathing mindfulness meditation is that foundational practice that we use to eliminate the cause of discontentedness. Because the cause of the discontent mind, that anger, frustration, irritation, and all those other discontent feelings are being caused by craving, desire, attachment. 
This is a mental longing for something with a strong eagerness where the mind pulls in a certain direction. You just want that new job. You want it so bad. You want it so bad. You want it so bad. And then when you get it, you're happy. You're excited. But then that kind of wears off because it's impermanent. Or you want it so bad. You want that job so bad. You want it so bad. And then when you don't get it, then you're angry or sad or somehow just feeling you know empty inside that you didn't get it so that craving that pulling in the direction of something that strong eagerness is what's actually causing the mind to experience discontentedness and we can eliminate that through training the mind because the mind longing for something with this strong eagerness what it's doing is it's attempting to find satisfaction in external things it's trying to hold on and latch on to things. And because it wants to hold on to something permanently, it's causing itself to be discontent. So what we're going to be doing in breathing mindfulness meditation here in a moment is we're going to train the mind to let go. We're going to train it to just let go. And the more and more that you train the mind to let go, then the mind gradually starts to learn it gradually starts to understand and through this training you're gradually able to control the mind more and more so that you no longer have this longing with a strong eagerness for things but instead you pursue it as a goal or an interest or an objective and you work towards these goals rather than having this craving desire attachment where there's just so much longing and eagerness and the mind's pulling in a certain direction and you get so happy and excited when something goes your way and when it doesn't go your way you become sad or angered or frustrated this is how the unenlightened mind functions it goes up and down and up and down and up and down with these little periods of peacefulness here and there but you experience these ups and downs. So it's through training the mind on this entire path to enlightenment, which involves dedicated, active study of Gautama Buddha's teachings to include breathing mindfulness meditation. And this is why you need a teacher to help you and guide you on this path so that you can learn the teachings. And one of the things that I provide is this book, it's free. There's no fee. You can download this book. You can also get a printed copy, which if you decide to get a printed copy, you just pay for the printing through Amazon. But nonetheless, this book has what you need in order to train the mind to become more and more peaceful. And it's an interactive book that there's links to an actual audiobook. There's links to videos, to podcasts, to quizzes, and you can gain support here in this Facebook group, Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. You can ask questions in the group. You can attend these online classes Sunday, Wednesday, and Saturday. You can reach out to me through private message. You can schedule appointments in order to receive personal guidance because this enlightened mind I often talk about it as attaining enlightenment or experiencing enlightenment. But another way to think of it is that the mind is already there. It's already enlightened, but there's all this pollution in the way. And essentially what the Buddhist teachings are doing is cleaning out all that pollution in the mind so that you can then come into this natural mind of the enlightened mental state where you can experience 
complete peace, calm, serenity, and contentedness with joy. So there's really nothing holding you back. The only thing holding you back is yourself. This complacency that we often have in the world where we just become complacent and we're not interested to kind of pursue things to become better and improve our life. So all these resources are available for you. Books, audiobooks, videos, podcasts, quizzes, personal guidance, online classes. There's no fee for anything. So the only thing holding you back is your own dedication, your own commitment, your own effort. And the more time that you decide that you're done, when you decide that you're done with these discontent feelings, when you're done being sad, when you're done having heartache every time one of your relationships has a problem, you're done feeling angry and hostile and aggressive. You're tired of that. You don't like being bored. You don't like being lonely. You don't enjoy the feelings of jealousy and envy and resentment and all of these frustration and all these other discontent feelings that you experience, maybe guilt or shame or fear. When you're done with all that and you said, okay, enough is enough. I'm done with all that then you know where to come to learn, which is the Buddhist teachings. So daily wisdom, walking the path with the Buddha, learning the teachings of the Buddha, you can be done with all of this discontentedness through learning and practicing these teachings. But it takes you to choose to step forward and actively engage with the resources to learn and practice the teachings. And again, it's none of it's based on belief you will see the condition of the mind improving gradually yourself. So I would like to thank you for joining today to have this session of breathing mindfulness meditation. We're going to go into breathing mindfulness meditation here shortly, but I thought I would just pause for a moment, introduce our moderator, James, and also Max is helping him as well to see if there's any questions that people might have either in Facebook, YouTube, or our Zoom virtual classroom, because there you can type into the comment section any questions that you might have so far. Or in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions or follow-up questions. If you type your comments in, our moderators will ensure that the question get asked, and then I'll answer it during the class, either now or after meditation. So let me just pause here and see if there's any questions that have come in. Hi, David. We do have a question. It's coming in from Amina on Facebook. Uh-huh. Amina would like to ask, David, sometimes during breathing mindfulness, the mind becomes focused on a to-do list for the family or something in the immediate future. It takes time to shift away from inward pursuits to experiencing the calm of the present moment. Beyond using right effort in these instances, can you share any guidance on moving beyond these self-centered thoughts during meditation and beyond. You've got it exactly correct, Amina. A right effort. Right effort is applying effort to abandon any unwholesome qualities of mind and arising wholesome qualities. And that's the way to do it is just keep focused on the breath because that unenlightened mind is going to keep wanting to search externally. It's going to want to go to the past. It's going to want to go to the future. It's going to want to keep going and going and going and trying to hold on to all this external stuff. So if you're not already meditating two or three times a day, be sure you're meditating two or three times a day. 
and be sure that you're meditating for at least 30 minutes or longer because that's where you're really going to see the most benefits. But it takes time to let go. And the fact that you are seeing some amount of time in your meditation session where there is some peacefulness in the present moment, that's good. That's very good. You're not going to get to a point where it's completely peaceful in meditation until you're actually enlightened. So even in the first, second, third stage of enlightenment, you're still going to have some wandering of the mind. You're still going to have it kind of drifting here and there. But what you're doing is you're kind of training the mind so that you can gain control of the mind. So if you're experiencing this to-do list that happens at the beginning of meditation, that's common, that's normal, but just keep actively working to bring the mind back to the breath and be sure you're getting at least two or three meditation sessions for 30 minutes or longer. And the more you train, the mind will gradually move closer and closer to being completely still and perfectly still in meditation once you actually get to enlightenment. But only when you finally get there is the mind going to actually be completely still. Thank you, David. That's a great reminder that this is a practice and it does take time to reach that level of enlightenment. For sure. One of the things that I think is the biggest question that I always get along these lines, right? Like one of the things that the unenlightened mind does is it craves and desires, it attaches, it it wants something so badly. And oftentimes we want that peaceful mind or we want enlightenment. And as long as the mind's lurching and craving enlightenment or the mind's craving that peaceful mind, Amina, as long as the mind's doing that, you're not going to get to enlightenment. So you got to get to the point where when you're craving that peacefulness, just, okay, I'm on the way. I'm, I'm on the way. I'll, I'll get there whenever I get there. There's no race. There's no rush. It'll happen when it happens. And people oftentimes get very disgruntled or they get impatient with themselves because when you hear about this enlightened mind that's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently, the first thing the unenlightened mind does is, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that, right? And what you've got to do is train the mind is, no, 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 no. You, you perhaps will be able to get that, but just take your time, be patient, cha-cha. In Thailand, we say cha-cha, slowly, slowly. And in Italy, Amina says piano. That's the word in Italy for slowly, slowly, slowly. Right, So don't crave enlightenment. Don't crave this peaceful mind. Don't crave stillness in your meditation. But just know that you're working in that direction. And someday you're going to get it. Thanks, David. We don't have any more questions at the moment. Okay, so let's go into meditation. And then we can follow up with any more questions that might arise after meditation. So go ahead and pull up a cushion or get comfortable in your chair, on your sofa, or wherever you might be, you would like to get your lower body comfortable. So you don't want to get luxurious, but you would like to get comfortable. So if you're on the floor, you just lightly cross your legs. Don't cross them real tight, because then the circulation is going to be inhibited. If you're in a chair, maybe your feet are flat on the floor, or they're crossed at the ankles. This isn't about everyone doing it exactly the same way. There's no permanent position for the body to be in because what we're doing is we're using the body to access the mind. The mind is the boss. The body is the employee. 
So we're making the body comfortable. We're making the employee comfortable so that we can get to the boss. But we don't want to make the employee luxurious because then, you know, everybody has a tendency to kind of drift off. So get the lower body comfortable, but not luxurious. And if you ever feel any pain, just shift and get into a slightly different position so that the mind isn't experiencing pain. The upper body, the spine should be erect where the muscles are engaged. This is going to keep the mind active and attentive during meditation because you need that attentiveness, that alertness of mind to be able to actively train it. You don't want to kind of drift off. You want to keep the mind actively engaged and attentive, alert during meditation. So that's why you engage the muscles around the spine and kind of erect the spine. Then the hands and the arms, if you want to place your right hand over your left with your thumbs together, you can place that in your lap. Or you can put your palms on your thighs or your knees, your armrests, wherever is comfortable for you. Okay. Once your body's in position, now just close your eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. You should either hear the sound of the breath entering the nose, or you should feel a sensation of the air moving over the skin into the nose. As you breathe in and you breathe out, fixate the mind on the breath, either the sound of the breath or the sensation of the air entering into the nose. This breath is the present moment. So breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Keep the mind focused on the sound of the breath or that sensation of the air entering the nose. Keep the mind focused right there on the present moment, the breath. Breathing in and out. I'm going to leave you here for a moment. I'm going to do some chanting just to kind of ease us into meditation. And then I'll be back with some guidance. Arahang Samma Samhoto Mahakava Potang Mahakavanang Sawakatomakawatamasami
सुपथिपनो महाकवक साघो नपमोसाभागवा हर हतो सम्मूत नपमोसाभागवा हर हतो सम्मूत नपमोसाभागवा हर हतो सम्मूत पीसो चाचारण सामुनो सखा तो कवीतु अनु तेरो पुरी सा तो should be breathing in and out Breathing in and out. The breath should be natural, a nice, steady, consistent breath, not forced or controlled. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Fixate the mind on the breath. The breath is the present moment. The sound or sensation of air entering into the nose. The sound or sensation of air is the present moment. Fixate the mind on this. Breathing in and out.
as the mind chooses to wander to the past or to the future, cut off those thoughts, let them go. Wherever you notice it, just let it go. There's no need to feel guilty or shameful. You haven't done anything wrong. But you're training the mind to always come back to the breath. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in, and out. If there's any thoughts, ideas, or perceptions that come to mind, let those go. You don't need those right now. You're training the mind to come to the breath, the present moment. Cut off those thoughts, ideas, perceptions, and focus on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in and out. The mind needs to be trained to let go. The problem is it wants to hold on. It doesn't recognize impermanence, the temporary nature of all things. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Even my voice is impermanent. Thoughts are impermanent. Sensations on the physical body are impermanent. Your life is impermanent. All of this stuff is all impermanent. So why hold on to it? Just let it go. Breathing in. and out. Now you need to let go of my voice. I'm going to be quiet. 
and I'll be back at the end with some chants. Just focus on the breath, the present moment. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in.
Slowly bring your awareness back, opening your eyes, just kind of stretching your body if you need to. This meditation that we just did, this is the primary foundation for your practice. This is what you should be doing each day, about two or three times a day. And if you're just starting out, do whatever amount of time that you can whether that's five or 10 or 15 minutes, but just slowly build this up more and more where you get closer and closer to two or three times a day and closer and closer to 30 minutes per session or more and kind of continue more. No need to set an alarm, no need to kind of have that hanging out there and your mind maybe is kind of craving 30 minutes, craving 30 minutes, but just meditate for as long as you feel comfortable and then as you go, just wherever you feel like, okay, this is enough, just stop. 
And you don't even really need to compare your meditation and kind of determine, you know, how long you meditated today versus yesterday, keeping any kind of log or journal or comparing one day to the next because your mind's probably just going to feel guilty or shameful if you don't get to what you expected. So don't have any expectations about how long you should necessarily meditate for, but just kind of generally work towards about 30 minutes or more per session. And that's the goal is just kind of work in that direction and when or if or how you get there yet to be determined. But just each day, morning and evening are good times to meditate midday as well. So before your phone starts going, before you need to leave the house, before you need to start working, do this meditation in the morning. And then in the evening, before you lay down and before it's time to go to sleep, shut down your social media early, shut down TV early, you know, just go find a quiet place or even not so quiet and do some meditation in the evening. And if you can find some time in the middle of the day, do it there as well and just gradually ease up closer and closer to two or three times a day and 30 minutes per session or more. And you'll find that as you do this, the mind's gonna become more and more trained so that you can control the mind. But always keep in mind that there's more to the path here than just meditation. And there's breathing mindfulness meditation as well as loving kindness meditation, which loving kindness meditation we'll be doing on Saturday along with breathing mindfulness meditation and we'll also be doing it next wednesday as well so you'll be able to participate there so let me just turn this back to our moderators and see if there's any questions coming in through facebook youtube zoom or if there's anyone that would like to raise their hand in zoom and ask any question or follow up directly you're welcome to do that hi david chateau i wanted to clarify is today a meditation only session or is there a class after a while I call these meditation and student discussion where we're meditating and then we're having a discussion about any miscellaneous questions you have, either about this particular week, which this week we're in chapter 19, which is titled God's Creative Action, You Have Free Will. So if there's any questions left over from Sunday's talk or anything that you've been studying based on the resources that I share for this week, you're welcome to ask those questions. If there's any questions coming up in your meditation practice that you'd like to get clarification on, or if there's any miscellaneous questions on anything about this path that you would like to get help on, it's just open discussion about anything. There's no prepared talk in terms of content. We're doing those on Sundays. And then on Wednesdays, we're doing meditation and then open talk, open discussion. And then on Saturday, we're doing right now just meditation only. But eventually on the 9th of January, that's going to be a short meditation on Saturday. And then we're going to be studying these books, the Buddha Wajana book series, which is the words of the Buddha in the Pali Canon in English. So if you have a set of these or if you download some of the PDFs, I've got about seven or eight of them online. You can download those on Saturdays, starting on the 9th of January. We're going to be progressing through these 13 books and I'm going to be helping you learn the path to enlightenment through the Buddha's words, his actual words. So that's what's going to be on each Saturday, starting on the 9th of January. 
Thanks, David. We have a question from Max. He would like to know, can you discuss how it is possible to enjoy life without attachment and pleasant feelings? Yeah, so when you're experiencing pleasant feelings, which are happiness, excitement, and elation, these are based on craving, desire, attachment, just like painful feelings, sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, loneliness, boredom, guilt, shame, fear, all of these discontent feelings, whether they're painful, pleasant, or neither painful nor pleasant, are because of craving, desire, attachment. So if the mind longs for something and it wants something really badly, if it gets it, then it's going to be happy, excited, or elated. But if it doesn't get it, it's going to be painful. It's going to experience sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, whatever. And then sometimes the mind just doesn't even know what it wants. And that's usually when the mind feels bored or lonely, right? So if you allow the mind to have this craving, desire, attachment, where it's searching externally for these external conditions to be met in order to be happy, excited, elated, then you're essentially inviting in the sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, loneliness, and boredom, and all those other discontent feelings as well. So what you're doing is you're training the mind to not look externally for satisfaction, but instead to be inwardly peaceful. And through training it to be inwardly peaceful, inwardly content, inwardly serene with joy, then you don't need any of this external stuff and the mind's just always joyful. No matter what it's doing, no matter anything that it's doing in the day, there's always joy there. It's always peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So some people call this happiness. You know, they call enlightenment happiness. But I don't call it happiness because you've all experienced happiness before. But you know that that's temporary. It's impermanent. And because happiness, excitement, and elation, these pleasant feelings are impermanent, therefore they're unsatisfying because they're not permanent. They go away. They're fleeting. They disappear. Those pleasant feelings disappear. So by training the mind to not latch on to things and be conditioned to experience this happiness, excitement, elation, then you're also training it to not experience these painful feelings of sadness, anger, frustration, and so forth. And you're also training it not to experience these neither painful nor pleasant feelings of boredom, loneliness, shyness, and everything else. And when you eliminate all of that, when you eliminate the painful feelings, pleasant feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, then what you're left with is you're left with this mind that's inwardly peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently because there will be things that come into your life. You will get a new car. And it's like, oh, great, I got a new car. Excellent. Glad to have a new car. Or I got some new clothes. Excellent. I needed those clothes. Glad I've got those. Oh, I got a new pair of shoes. Okay, I needed those. Glad I've got those. But the mind's not going to want them with such a longing. So therefore, when it gets it, it becomes so excited. Or when it doesn't get it, it becomes so sad. Your mind is going to start progressing and looking for what do I need in this life? Not what do I want? Because all of these wants are just driving the mind and driving it and driving it and driving it. And then 
you end up either with painful feelings, pleasant feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And when you eliminate those, the mind is just inwardly peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So your child comes home with a good report card. All right, great. I'm glad they're getting good grades. Oh, they don't have good grades. They got bad grades. Okay, well, let's address this. Let's make sure we fix this and get them the help they need so they can improve their grades. So the enlightened mind doesn't mean there's no challenges in your life. You're still going to have challenges, but the mind's just not going to be discontent. So when your child comes home with a good report card, rather than being excited and happy and prideful and arrogant and all of these kind of things, which if they then come home with a bad report card, that means you're going to be angry and frustrated and irritated. What you're going to do is you're going to be like, all right, great. There's good grades there. I'm glad you're improving. You know, you might even take your child out for a special event or a special meal or get them a little gift if you choose, up to you. But then when they come home with a bad report card, if they do, then you're going to be able to use your wisdom to say, all right, how do we solve this problem? What do we need to do to fix this? And let's fix it. Because the enlightened mind isn't going to get angry at these bad grades because the enlightened mind knows that that anger is not going to fix anything because those bad grades are impermanent. And it's a matter of just applying some wisdom to improve them so that you can make them better. The enlightened mind realizes that there's no benefit in this sadness and anger, frustration. There's also no benefit in this extreme happiness and elation because if you allow that to come in and you invite those feelings in, then you're also inviting these painful feelings and these feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. So the enlightened mind is actually going to be a lot more joyful and you're going to have a lot better experiences in your life because you're no longer experiencing any of this sadness or anger or frustration or loneliness and boredom. So life actually becomes way more enjoyable than it ever was when you were experiencing that temporary happiness or that temporary excitement or that temporary elation. You're going to have a much more fulfilling life because you never experience any discontent feelings. So that's how you can create a life where even though you're not experiencing these temporary, happy, excited, elated feelings, you're experiencing permanent joyfulness and permanent peacefulness. And that is much better than any of these temporary discontent feelings that we experience in the unenlightened state. Is it fair to say, David, that we each have a peaceful and content mind in our practices to free ourselves from the attachments that may obscure it? I like explaining it that way sometimes because I think that can be almost more motivating and it can kind of like get rid of this craving to attain something, right? I In the book, I talk about attaining enlightenment and I talk about pursuing it, which is like progressing on a path. And I think that's important to kind of also motivate and encourage people to move in that path. But one of the other ways to think about this is if you're having trouble with craving enlightenment or craving that peaceful mind is to think that, hey, I'm already enlightened. The mind is already there to be enlightened. It's already enlightened. There's just all this pollution or like you said, things that are obscuring that enlightened mind. I just got to get rid of all of that stuff 
so that I can experience this enlightened mind that's already there and kind of like uncover it. And if you look at the book that the picture that I have on this book, it's like pulling back this veil of darkness, this, you know, sheet of darkness going from the darkness to the light. It's like the light is already there, but you just can't see it because you're looking through all this darkness. You know, you're looking through this craving, desire, attachment. So the mind can't see true reality. You're looking through this hatred, this anger, this ill will, this frustration, this boredom, this loneliness. So you can't see the pleasantness and the wonderfulness of life and life becomes miserable and horrible for us sometimes in the unenlightened state because we can't see this, you know, beautiful scenery because we're looking through this filter of darkness. So essentially what we're doing is pulling that back so that we can see the beautiful life that we can live in this enlightened mind, you know, and that's where the mind becomes liberated, that it's no longer held down and burdened by all of this craving, desire, attachment, or this hatred, anger, ill will, or this delusion, ignorance, and unknowing of true reality, this self, this ego, you know, sometimes in the unenlightened mind, it just feels like the whole world is on your shoulders. And you just feel like you're being weighed down and you just feel like, oh my goodness, I can't take one more day of this, you know, please, you know, and what you can do is where I think the Buddhist teachings are so uplifting is when you realize like, hey, there's an enlightened mind there just waiting to be discovered. And I have complete control to be able to do that. I have complete ability. All I've got to do is apply some effort and dedication and commitment to have confidence in the Buddha, to get access to his teachings, and to be part of a community of practitioners where I can learn and grow and get access to resources and teachers and other members of the community. And through having the confidence in the Buddha, by having access to his teachings, by being part of a community, then you've got the three things that you need The only thing you really need to add is the dedication and commitment to uncover all of that peaceful, calm, serene, and contentness with joy that's there. And one of the things I used to share with people when they would first start meditating with me is sometimes when they meditate, they might even get just like one second or five seconds or 10 seconds of peacefulness in about a 15-minute meditation session. And if you even get just like one second in your meditation where it's like everything's completely still and completely peaceful, that's your truth. That's like the glimpse where you can see, aha, it's possible. The mind can become peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. It's there. You got a glimpse of it. Even if it was just for one second or 10 seconds or 30 seconds or two minutes, you got that glimpse. And what you're doing is you're essentially widening that, making it wider and wider and wider, where it's not just two minutes in meditation, it's 10 minutes, and then it's 15 minutes. And then it's not only just one hour during your day that the mind's completely peaceful, it's two or three hours. And then it's not just two or three hours, it's four or five hours. And then it's not just one day that the mind's peaceful, it's two or three days. And then it's not just one week, it's two or three weeks before you have that next 
anger or frustration or whatever that discontentedness is that arises, you just kind of expand it more and more as you discover this enlightened mind by pulling back all this pollution and all the things that are obscuring the enlightened mind. Thank you, David. I feel like that's a very encouraging way to potentially look at this. Yeah, I do. I, I described it that way before quite a bit because I think it helps you to realize it's already there. It's almost like you're looking out of a window and it's all this smudges and smears and you're just squirting the, the spray and kind of cleaning off the, the window. But, you know, this window has gotten smears and mud on it, not only for the last 20, 30, 50 years of this life, but all these prior lives that you've been living too, there's just all this dirt and mud and smears. So it's not like a real quick splurt, 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 wipe it clean. You know, it's quite dirty. So you've got to really clean it off and you've got to clean it up. Just like you clean your body every day, just like you brush your teeth every day, you've got to clean the mind. You've got to train the mind with meditation. Just like you brush your teeth and take a shower every day, meditation should become as regular as brushing the teeth and washing the body because you take care of the physical body every day. You know, you cut your fingernails, you wipe the, the sleepies out of your eyes, you maybe comb your hair or blow dry your hair, you put on lotion on your face or your hands or your body. You clean this body, you feed this body, you do all this work to maintain the body. But what do we do to maintain the mind? What do we do to train the mind? What do we do to cultivate the mind? What do we do to maintain it? That's where the Buddhist teachings come in. So right now, if you're spending all this time just taking care of the physical body and you're not taking care of the mind, that's why you're discontent. That's why you're experiencing discontentedness because you haven't done the work to care for that mind that's there. You've only been caring for the physical body. And that's because in our culture, that's essentially all that we're taught is we're only taught to take care of the physical body growing up as a child, unless you're part of a community of practitioners that learns these teachings, you haven't learned yet how to take care of the mind. And that's essentially what the Buddhist teachings are doing is teaching you how to take care of that mind, how to cultivate it, how to train it, how to maintain it, and just make it as regular as brushing your teeth and washing your body each day. Thanks. Today we practice breathing mindfulness meditation, and that seems to be the basis of our meditation practice. I was wondering if there's perhaps a certain portion of our meditation practice that we should generally dedicate to breathing mindfulness meditation in addition to any other types of meditation that we may practice. There's really only the two meditations that you ever need, which is breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. Your primary meditation should be breathing mindfulness meditation. That takes care of that first poison out of the three poisons, which is that craving, desire, attachment. That's your primary meditation. That's the number one primary meditation. But then, depending on that second poison, that hatred, anger, ill will, that pushing people away, kind of looking out to see who's going to disagree with you. And when you see that somebody disagrees with you or you don't like somebody, you tend to kind of push them away or you don't want them in your life or you're not interested in talking to them and you just kind of push it away. This hatred, anger, ill will, and all the lesser versions of like annoyance and dislike, 
this is where loving kindness meditation comes in. And if you're new to this path, and when I say new, I'm thinking like six to 12 months, you know, easily during that time, you should be doing breathing mindfulness meditation with loving kindness meditation. But then even beyond that, if you're still noticing this anger or frustration or hostility, you know, there's certain people you just don't like, there are certain things you just don't like, and you feel this arising of frustration and annoyance, this is where the loving kindness meditation is so important so that you're training the mind to not push things away, but cultivate this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. So if you're noticing that you're judging people, if you're noticing that you're resentful, if you're noticing that you're envious of people, that you're jealous, all of these kind of discontent feelings can be remedied through loving kindness meditation to get started. That's cultivating it in meditation. But then you've got to carry that with you in daily life where you now practice active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. So wherever you see your mind is trying to judge somebody, cut that off and let it go and realize, no, that's not what I need to be doing here. Or if you see the mind become hateful or angered, cut that off and let it go. Or even if it's later, you know, cut it off, let it go. And to practice loving kindness in daily life is to be polite, kind, friendly, respectful to all people all beings, people and animals as well. Just be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all people. Because what love is, love is this genuine interest in seeing others be well and be peaceful. Because right now, in this world, we have so much hostility. We have so much anger. We have so much frustration, people just bickering at each other. So much ego exists in the world. And what you're doing is you're making a conscious choice on this path to enlightenment to say, I'm not interested in being that way. Even though you are that way now, and even though there's other people around you that are that way, we're not judging that. You don't need to judge those people and look down on them. But being on this path to enlightenment is to make the conscious choice that I'm done with discontentedness. I would like to work in the direction to eliminate it. I'm done with all of this hostility and anger and frustration. I would like to get all of this out of my life and walk on this path to enlightenment through not just meditation, but learning the entire path. And you will eliminate this from your life. You know, at one time in my life, you know, I had lots of hostility around me, lots of anger. Well, the reason why is because I was angry, because I was hostile, and that's what I was putting out, so that's what was coming back to me. Now I'm at a point where everything's so peaceful. Everything's so peaceful. Everything is peaceful all the time because that's what I'm putting out, right? There's an occasional person on Facebook that speaks up and tries to be hostile or arrogant or whatever, and I I don't judge them. I don't look down on them. I just recognize it for what it is and just have concern for their misfortune, have a genuine wish for their well-being. And that's maybe like once every month, once every two weeks that somebody will kind of come along and kind of be that way with me. But otherwise, everything's so peaceful, everything's so calm. And you can do that for yourself. 
But as long as you're angry or frustrated or hostile, that's what you're putting out. That's what's going to come back to you. So through learning and practicing this path, you can improve the quality of your mind, but then also improve the quality of your life where everything can just be so, so peaceful all the time. Thanks. We have a question from Max. He would like to know, what does it mean to own a possession? Can we truly own anything? We walk around thinking that we own things, right? Like this is my car, you know, this is my computer, my phone, my clothes. But when you do that, the mind tends to latch on and holds on. And this is craving desire attachment. It's also the self, right? We know that from previous talks where you need to let go of this concept of a permanent self in the mind, where the mind wants to hold on to this self-identity and the self-image. Well, if everything's yours and this is my clothes and my car and my computer, well, that's the mind grabbing and holding on. And now when you accidentally lose your computer or you drop your computer and it breaks or somebody steals your computer or it stops working and you have to get a new one, now the mind's going to be discontent. So it's better to look at all of this stuff around you as just being part of this external world. Everything's impermanent and nothing belongs to you. It's almost like you're renting it. It's like I'm renting this computer. Sure, I paid for it and I own it and I have a receipt for it. But if the mind relates to it as this is my computer, then you're going to hold it really close to the chest. And when something goes wrong with it, whatever that might be, the mind's going to be discontent because it's mine, 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 mine. And this is where the selfishness comes in. So whether it's possessions, like I just talked about, like a car, a computer, clothes, cell phone, or something like that, or even your relationships. This is my wife. This is my son. This is my family. Well, now you're going to protect it like mentally. You know, of course, if somebody came and physically tried to harm my son or my wife, of course, I would need to protect their physical body, but I would do as little harm as possible to be able to do that and try to use as much words as possible in order to de-escalate the situation. But if everything's mine, even in your relationships, you're going to protect this. And even somebody comes in from the outside, you're going to not be comfortable with this person coming in and spending time with your family. You'll be jealous, perhaps. Or if your son says, you know, I'd like to go spend some time at my friend's house, or I want to spend the night at my friend's house, perhaps you're going to be lonely or bored while they're gone and missing them. Or if you have to go on a business trip and leave your wife or your husband or your kids, and you have to go on a business trip for two or three weeks or whatever it might be, you're going to be missing them and your mind's going to be worried about them, right? Did they go to school? Did they eat their food? Did they take a shower? Did they do what they need to do? And the mind's just going to worry and worry and worry because they're my kids rather than just let it go. And somebody's at home, somebody will take care of them and no need to hold on to it so tightly. Just apply some good wisdom to help your children, to help your partners, to help your family. And when you're in their life and you're involved and you can help them and you help them, but when you're away and you need to go work or you need to go do something, then you go do it. That way you stay focused and concentrated on what it is that you're dealing with. But if you're at work 
and you're thinking and worried about your children, then you're not concentrated and focused with singleness of mind at work and you're not performing in the best way possible. So you're making a bunch of mistakes, which it's going to cause you problems later that you're going to have to clean up. So by cultivating a mind that's concentrated and focused and has clarity of mind, deep memory, a mind that has singleness of mind, you won't have all this discontentedness in in each individual moment. You can focus with concentration and clarity to handle that situation in that moment. And then when you're done, you know you're done and there's nothing bad that's going to come back from that. There's no unwholesome decisions that I made that's going to produce unwholesome results. So there's nothing unwholesome that's going to come back from this. Only wholesome things are going to result. So now when you have entire days and weeks and months and years of making wholesome decision after wholesome decision after wholesome decision, nothing but goodness is going to be happening for you because you've spent time to train this mind, gain that concentration, that clarity, that focus, make good, wise decisions in each individual moment and all your relationships, all your business affairs, all your family and personal relationships, everything's going to go very smoothly for you. But when you're confronted with a challenge, you'll have the wisdom of how to handle it and you'll just handle it and address it. Seems to be another reminder that it's not so much what we possess or what relationships we have as it is how we relate to those things. Yes. It's all about how the mind relates to this stuff, right? Like You know, if you've got a favorite cup or a dish in your kitchen and it breaks, it falls on the floor, it's grandma's dish maybe, she gave it to you. Now the mind's upset, right? Oh my God, grandma's dish, oh, oh, grandma. You know, like, sure, we love grandma. Sure, we appreciate that she gave us something that, you know, is going to remind us of her, but we've got to recognize that that is impermanent. And we're not going to be able to keep it permanently. And if it breaks or it chips or otherwise gets lost, of course, we, we try to keep it nice. We try to take care of it. We try to exercise some good decision making to keep it around. But if something happens and it breaks, well, OK, then, you know, that's just what happens. And that's impermanence. And we just deal with it but if the mind relates to it and just wants to keep it and oh gosh grandma would kill me if she ever knew that i lost this or broke this then the mind's going to be discontent when something like that happens so you've got to just care for things care for your possessions and take care of them because you need them to service you and to help you in life but when you hold on to them so tightly mind 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 that's setting up the mind to fail because it's going to be discontent at some point because all of this stuff is impermanent. I had a question related to meditation. Oftentimes we find ourselves seeking out a quiet place for meditation. And I was wondering if we can also benefit at times from perhaps seeking out an environment which may have noise in it for our meditation. Yes, absolutely. I suggest for probably at least a good first three to maybe six months is meditate kind of in comfortable, familiar areas like your bedroom or your living room or a special room you have in your house where you feel comfortable because you've been there a lot. You spend a lot of time in that place and this is a good, comfortable place for your mind to kind of get settled and 
start to develop this practice. But then what's going to happen is the mind's going to want to hold on to that. And what you really would like to do is introduce impermanence to the mind because the mind doesn't like change. So the more that you can introduce impermanence to the mind, the better because you're training it to get comfortable with impermanence. So in that first three to six months, as the mind starts getting more and more comfortable with meditation, now take a more active role in training it and moving it into different environments. And you wanna do this gradually. So if you've been meditating in your room, for example, maybe meditate in the living room and then do that for a while. And you know, it doesn't have to be every single session in the living room. It can be one or two sessions in your bedroom and then one in the living room, one or two sessions in your room, one in the living room. You know, Do this over a period of a week or two and then expand more and more time meditating in the living room. And then maybe it's outside your house on a balcony or at a close by location. As you move the mind around into these different environments, there's going to be different stimulus. There's going to be different sounds. There's going to be different lighting. There's going to be different weather. You might get a breeze blowing or something like this. And you can move it around in different environments so it doesn't get complacent and it also doesn't get attached to any one particular place. So what I tended to do is, you know, kind of like morning or evening, this was the time where I always made sure I was meditating in kind of like my spot, which is my bedroom here. And then in the middle of the day and other times, I would always look for other places like a temple or a little pavilion or a park or even meditating. I would do walking meditation in the city, you know, walking on the streets. My wife's yoga studio when she had a yoga studio. And then when you travel, right, when I would travel, I would be meditating in a hotel room or at some other temple where I was teaching, you know, from my home. So your mind's going to move around. You're not going to permanently be at home in this one bedroom. So you might as well get comfortable training it to be in different environments. And as you do, not only are you getting it comfortable with impermanence, but you're challenging the mind. And this can be very beneficial for the mind. If you're feeling somewhat complacent with where you meditate and you feel like your meditation practice is somewhat plateauing, then go put it in another environment and challenge it with this impermanence and challenge it with the sounds and the sights and different lighting. And you can experience these different environments one of the most interesting things that I ever observed in somebody doing this was one time when I was in Bangkok a long, long time ago, they have these boats in Bangkok that travel up and down this river. It's like a taxi. It's like a water taxi, but they're huge. They'll have several hundred people on these boats and there's all kinds of boats in this river. So it's really quite rocky for a river. It's, it's pretty big waves and stuff. Well, this one boat had a engine compartment right in the middle of the passenger compartment and there's like a platform kind of wood built around this engine so this monk actually came in and sat on top of that platform and attempted to meditate during the entire boat trip so he was probably just on his normal routine you know going somewhere here and there and he was just like oh wow look here's a place where i can challenge the mind so not only did he have the difference of lighting, but obviously there were several hundred people in the boat. So he had the sound, different sound. 
he also had the vibration of the the engine compartment and the rocking of the boat and there was also a certain smell associated with the engine so you're going to experience discontentedness through the six doorways of discontentedness and the six doorways are the five senses in the mind which is the sixth sense so the eyes the nose the tongue the ears the physical contact with the body and then of course the mind so in this one situation this monk was able to bring in about three or four of those doorways into his meditation and he was challenging himself to focus on the breath in that situation so you can find places like that or if you just happen to be out and about and you're like oh wow let me sit down and try to do some meditation here and i've done that where i've been out and about in my day and here in the city there's different temples and parks and different environments or like maybe i'm waiting for somebody at the dmv or i'm waiting for somebody and they're in a business meeting and i'm outside in the lobby or something like this or i'm at a doctor's appointment you know why not just try it like even if it's just a five or ten minute meditation challenge the mind and you will see that it will become more stable you will gain more and more control this way because you are challenging the mind rather than just kind of letting it always meditate in the same place all the time it's great to know that for meditation all we truly need is ourselves and our breath we can oftentimes feel that we may need this corner of the room or this quiet but truly that can be an attachment and as long as we have ourselves and we have our breath then we can meditate essentially if you train the way that i'm teaching which is the body the mind and the breath that's all you need you don't need an app you don't need a music you don't need any beads you don't need any candles you know if you'd use those things every once in a while okay but if you train with just the body the mind and the breath you're going to have those things with you all the time wherever you go until the day you die so when you develop your practice this way you can meditate in an instant wherever you are no matter where you're at so if you develop your practice this way then you can meditate if you're in the mountains on a three-day trek through the mountains and it's just you and a couple other people or if you're in the city or if you're at a hotel or if you're on the airplane you know wherever you are in the world you're going to have the body the mind and the breath and this can be really good to challenge the mind this way and putting it in these different environments and seeing what you can do and even if when you do it if it's just like whoa that was like really difficult really hard that's good that's good for you to see right because you're not trying to be perfect what you're trying to do is challenge the mind it's like having a rag and you're trying to wring out all this water and make sure it's all out so you've got this mind with all this pollution and all these problems and you're trying to wring out the craving desire attachment trying to wring out the hatred, anger, ill will. You're trying to get rid of all that delusion, ignorance, unknowing of true reality and the self and the ego. You're trying to just wring it all out and get it out. So don't just meditate in the corner of your room, like you say, with your favorite cushion and your favorite blanket. Put it in situations where you're challenging it and testing it. And this is where it can become very fun. It can be quite fun, you know, because sometimes people are like, oh, goodness, do I have to do that meditation again? It's so boring, like just sitting there doing nothing for 30 minutes. 
Well, yeah, like because when you train your mind to do nothing for that 30 minutes, you're training it that it doesn't need any of this stuff out here externally. You're training it to go in and be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy with nothing. But now when you kind of make it like an adventure and you're challenging the mind, you're kind of looking out for where can I go next to challenge this mind. It becomes almost like a scavenger hunt or quite fun and quite challenging. And, you know, you can really enjoy looking for different environments and different challenges like this monk did on this boat. You know, I'm sure for him it was like, oh, wow, look, here's a situation where I can challenge the mind. Let me try it. If you notice that the mind's very peaceful, okay, great. You know, I I was able to meditate in that situation. But if you realize it's really busy and you weren't able to really meditate that well, then that's fine too. But more and more, you will gain better and better control over this mind and you'll gain more confidence in being able to control this mind. And that's how you test it. Rather than waiting for people around you when you're in a workplace or personal conversations, because things are going to come up all the time that are going to test your mind. So rather than wait for others to test it, not that they're actively testing it, but just certain situations that you experience, rather than waiting for those things to happen, put your mind in situations that you are essentially controlling and you're testing and challenging the mind because then that's going to strengthen your practice. You're going to gain more confidence. You're going to gain more control over the mind. And then when you're in situations where you're in conversations or you're in a business meeting or whatever it might be and things come up, you've already tested the mind really well. So you can maintain your contentedness and your joy in those situations. That's very helpful. I have one final question about meditation. We may find ourselves at times with a very energetic, active mind. And I was wondering to what extent can perhaps exercising the physical body prime the mind for going into meditation? Yeah, this is really helpful because not only do you get physically more fit because the physical body needs to maintain its health because if the physical body isn't healthy and it dies, then there's no opportunity to train the mind. So physical exercise is going to help with the physical health of the physical body, but also it does help the mind as well to stabilize. So you can use physical exercise to you know, kind of get out some of that energy, either before meditation or just as some part of your weekly schedule or whatever, you know, however you decide to do it two, three, four, five times a week or what have you, that can be really helpful to kind of calm the mind and ease it. And you'll get more benefit out of your meditation. And this is where everybody's practice is going to look different. Not everyone's going to exercise or people who do exercise are not going to exercise at the same time. What you'll notice is that maybe exercise helps you more doing it prior to meditation, or maybe it works better doing it after meditation and kind of priming you and getting you ready for tomorrow. And this is where your practice is your practice and your independent practice. But if you know what the goal is, which is to train the mind and create this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, you can kind of dabble with these different parameters and these different variables, whether it's physical exercise with the body to calm the mind down and relax it, or whether it's walking meditation, which can also be helpful to calm the mind down and get rid of energy in the mind and overactive mind, or whether it's seated position versus lying position versus standing versus walking. 
when you are experiencing certain challenges in your practice, what you're doing is always looking for solutions because that's what an enlightened mind is going to do is it's going to have this big wealth of wisdom that it can apply solutions not only to your practice of meditation, but everything in life. So where your teacher comes in is you're kind of reaching out for ideas and suggestions and thoughts, but then you don't believe that and you take it back into your life and you figure out what works best for you. And when you figure that out through your experience, then you might choose to exercise three times a week and you do it in the morning and Max decides to do it five times a week and he does it in the afternoon. And maybe I decide I don't do exercise at all. And that's all completely fine because there's nothing about this practice that is permanent. It's about everybody figuring out what works best for them. But this core path, the path to enlightenment that the Buddha taught, there's these eight steps. There's all these teachings surrounding it that we need to learn and practice, but then we integrate it into our life in this unique way that becomes our practice. And everybody's got to eliminate those 10 fetters. Everybody needs to practice the Eightfold Path. Everyone needs to practice breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. There's all these things that we know that these things need to occur, but how or when you know, whether you do exercise or not and when you do it, that's all those independent variables that it's not about everybody doing it exactly the same way or the Buddha dictating to you how you should or shouldn't do these things. The Buddhist teachings are really this generalized guidance where he's just kind of pointing the way and he's saying, this is the way. Here's the way to a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy but how that looks in each individual's life is going to be slightly different. And it's going to look different depending on how you end up choosing to create a life for yourself. We have a follow up to that coming in from Zoom asking, did the Buddha ever talk of yoga? I've never seen anywhere that the Buddha talked about yoga. Uh, I haven't seen that. I know that he has talked about maintaining the physical health of the body. And yoga is one of those things that is good for the body. It's good for the mind as well. So, you know, there's plenty of Buddhist practitioners that do yoga. So if that's something that you find beneficial and you find it helpful, then you use it. It's not part of the path to enlightenment, but it certainly is part of maintaining the health of the body which is part of the path to enlightenment is maintaining the health of the body. So all these things that we have, whether it's yoga or acupuncture or Thai massage or just massage in general or herbal remedies, qigong, tai chi, you know, you name it. All these things are here for a reason because they serve a purpose for us. And for some people, they're going to really like yoga and find a lot of benefit in it and see that that's helping their body and helping their mind as well, where somebody else might say, you know what, you know, it's yoga is not really my thing. And that doesn't mean that one person's right and one person's wrong. That's just the uniqueness of each person's individual practice. And the best way that you can decide is if you're finding benefit and you're finding value in it, then you do it. And that is helpful for your practice. But that doesn't mean everybody has to do it. It's all about the practice and finding out what works for each of us, it seems. 
Yes, yes. And like I mentioned, there's there's the core things that are going to be part of this path that each person needs to learn. But there's things like yoga or acupuncture, these other things that aren't really part of the path, so to speak, other than taking care of the physical body, that each person will decide what works best for them. Like for me, I started receiving Thai massage before I was ever introduced to yoga. So Thai massage is all about stretching and there's actually somebody there stretching you and massaging you as they're stretching you and your muscles are passive. You just get to lay there and enjoy it. So when I started doing a little bit of yoga, I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Like somebody else could be doing this for me. And I never really took to yoga, but my wife, she absolutely loves yoga. And she also loves Thai massage too. She really enjoys it. So I prefer to lay there on the floor and let somebody else do all the stretching and all the work. But there's other people that really enjoy yoga. And I've done it a few times and I've done it enough to realize like, yeah, I can see where it's totally beneficial, especially the hot yoga. I really enjoyed that. But I didn't really know what it was the first time I did it. And I went there. Somebody invited me to their studio when I was in America. I had just had this big, huge meal and I walk into this room that's like blasting hot and I'm like way out of shape. I think I've done like maybe two yoga classes to that point. And I'm in this room with 30 people sweating and everything. And I have this big stomach full of food. And I basically just laid on the mat the whole time and sweated. But even in that, I mean, I did the yoga for about 10 or 15 minutes, but even just laying there and sweating in the room, like there was benefit. I really felt quite good afterwards. So all these things are here for a reason and you get to try and experience what works best for you. And if you get on this path, if you learn these teachings from the Buddha using the resources that I provide and you get some private help and you come to these online classes, you're practice will improve you will notice the condition of the mind improving but you've got to do the work and get dedicated to doing that but the winter is one of the best times to do that because you're pretty much inside anyway so you can really kind of bone up on these teachings and get really proficient with the teachings and really train the mind well and then the beauty is is that the more and more peaceful the mind becomes then you get to enjoy the rest of your life without this discontent mind so you know, oftentimes we become complacent, we don't do it, or we don't do it as in a dedicated way as we should, and we kind of make it longer and more difficult for us. Whereas if we just get dedicated to it and we really like ramp up our life practice and we really get dedicated to it for a couple of years, you can really make a lot of progress in that time. And then, you know, should your mind become more and more peaceful and calm, serene and content with joy in this enlightened mental state, then you just enjoy the rest of your life because you've essentially upgraded your operating system in the mind. Because in the unenlightened state, there are so many things that we don't understand. We're operating on like human being version 1.0. And then the more you learn and practice these teachings, you kind of upgrade to human being 9.9, right? And now, once you upgrade to this new operating system, it's permanent. The mind's permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So that work that you did to build up your practice and get to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, okay, you're done. There's actually people who are ordained with the Buddha 
and became enlightened during the Buddha's lifetime. And they went to the Buddha and they were like, I'm going to unordain. I'm done. I'm done. I finished everything. Like the mind's enlightened. I no longer need to be ordained. I'm just going to go live this household life and enjoy the rest of my life with people and working and being part of the community. You know, I don't need to be ordained for my entire life. So you can get to that even in this household life if you dedicate time, effort, and energy for several years, you know, maybe like a year, two, three years, and really bone up. And you're still doing other things. You're still having relationships and jobs and all these other things. But you make sure that you kind of take this serious, almost like it's a second full-time job. So if you have a full-time job, look at this path to enlightenment as like a second full-time job and just get really dedicated to it because all of that work that you do, it's not going to ever leave you. This wisdom that you gain on this path, it's permanent. And then you'll continue to make progress. And as you do, you'll just reap the rewards of that more and more and more. Whereas if we become complacent and we drag our feet and we drag this out, you know, it's going to be this life and more lives and more lives or, you know, you just really elongate all of this discontentedness that's in the mind. So you might as well just get kind of like get on the horse, you know, get dedicated to it, really learn and practice and see the benefits, upgrade your operating system. And then you're off and running and enjoying the rest of your life with this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. Thank you, David. That's three all the questions we have for today. Okay. Well, I would like to just congratulate all of you guys for doing meditation today in our session. Thank you for coming together to encourage and support each other as a community. Thank you to the moderators for helping out. And thank you guys for all your questions. Continue to learn and practice these teachings and continue to grow with these teachings because it's the very best thing you could ever do for yourself, those close to you, and all of humanity. We can clean up all of this hostility and anger one person at a time, not by forcing others to do something, but by training your mind. It's going to improve your life and then the life of the people around you and everyone else. So on Saturday, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. I'll also open things up for questions there as well, since we're not doing the new program yet until January 9th. And then on Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 20, which is animal to human, the evolution of our consciousness. This is where I'm going to help you understand how most of us have been reborn out of the animal world and you can understand these qualities or these aspects of mind in the unenlightened state how they very much relate to the animal existences that we've had in the past and this is why you don't need to feel guilty or shameful about how the mind functions now in the unenlightened state because you're evolving your consciousness on this path to enlightenment. You're moving from this animal consciousness more and more and more to this human consciousness. And by helping you see that, then you'll understand more of what you're really working to do, what you're really working to improve. 
And this is where we'll also talk about the five realms of existence, and we'll talk about the cycle of rebirth and these kind of things. So now that this program has been going on for 19 weeks, essentially, this Sunday will be the 20th week that we've been doing this program, and we've only got like another month left or so. So this is a good time to be talking about this animal to human the evolution of our consciousness, the cycle of rebirth, and the five realms of existence. And then next Wednesday, we'll do loving-kindness meditation. And as anything comes up in your practice, feel free to post that into Facebook. Feel free to reach out to me in private message. Feel free to schedule an appointment with me if you would like to talk privately. And feel free to ask questions in these classes because you've got all this access to a teacher who's more than willing to help you grow on this path. You just need to decide that you're done with all of this discontentedness and all of this anger and hostility. You're, you're done with it. You just are interested in this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. And when you make that decision and you get dedicated to your growth, then you've got somebody right here that's willing to help you. So thank you all for joining. Have a really wonderful rest of your day. Treat everyone around you with politeness, kindness, friendliness, and respect. Because by you doing that, then more and more people will also treat you that way. But you don't do this because you're interested in other people doing it to you, but it's just the right thing to do. Treat people polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. All people, all relationships. So until next time, sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.